opening scripture, I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. And again, the plan is not to do an exposition of these verses just yet, <clears throat> but to plant a seed of thought, of uh, consideration from the scriptures that we'll sort of dig into using various scriptures. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So you see there in those three verses, there's sort of three things being said. All three of them are pretty much saying the same thing in different ways. There are references to gifts, service, and activities. That would be the idea of the spiritual gifts that he's going to unpack. And then there is the source from which those gifts flow. God. First is the Spirit, then Lord, then God. Different words for gifts, different words uh, for God, or different titles for God. That's, that's what I want us to think about, the source of the spiritual power. So let's pray, and then we'll look at that. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather again and to study your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. And as we look at a lot of scriptures, I'm praying and hoping and trusting that your spirit will make the scriptures effectual unto our sanctification and our growth in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of your work. Lord, again, as we study the person and work of Christ and his ministry, I pray that we would learn something new. We would be once again fascinated by the humiliation of our King. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now last week when we ended, I read Acts chapter 2 verses, verse 22 where Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Which gives us this picture. Why would Peter say it that way? Why does God have to do works through Jesus of Nazareth, if Jesus of Nazareth is God. You see, you understand that, that, that weird, the weirdness of that, perhaps? Okay, so that's what we're going to unpack tonight, that, that idea, the answer to that question. So this is the fourth main heading. So if you were taking notes of all of this together, we're at Roman numeral four. That's I, the, for those who are still learning their Roman numerals. Roman numeral four, the source of Christ's power in His humiliation. The source of Christ's power. Now I began last week by reading from a quote that oddly enough, it just somebody just shared it on Facebook um, and I seen it, so I thought it was good. I started it last week. I'm going to read another part of that same quote. Whenever we see an instance of the deity of Jesus or where the deity of Jesus acts or impinges upon His humanity, 
it doesn't do so according to the order of nature by souping up his humanity into something a bit more than human, but according to the order of grace. That is, by divine influences that empower human nature, but do not tamper with it. You see, if it tampers with it, then we can't say it was two separate natures, unconfused, unmixed, so it doesn't do that. I'll go on. In the Scriptures, it is precisely the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, who is credited with enabling, empowering, and enlightening the humanity of Jesus. For example, Jesus casts out demons not by means of some turbocharged, deity-injected human power that He has within His humanity by nature, but by the Spirit. You understand what's being said there? Okay. So here's the question that I want to answer for tonight. Now, I want to read the end of that quote at the, at the conclusion. How did the man, or how did a man... Well, Jesus is a man. How did a man, fully man, just like us, carry out a ministry like Christ did? How did he do it? Now, out of curiosity, how many of you have generally just assumed that the things that Christ did on the earth, he did simply because he's God? In his miracles, it's okay. Has anybody ever just assumed, well, he's God? Of course he can walk on water. He's God. Of course He can raise the dead. He's God. Of course He can this, this. We, we, we tend to just assume because of our lack of, of understanding of Christology and, and the Trinity, we tend to just assume, well, of course He did it. He's God. We read passages like we read last week. Matthew 24, 20, or Matthew verse 4, or chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It says, They brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Just everybody. All kinds of stuff. He just healed them. Or Matthew eight sixteen that evening, remember he healed Peter's mother-in-law of the... The, the fever in Capernaum that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed with, by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And we read that, and we tend to think, of course he did. He's God. Now, to be sure, these are displays of His divinity, but not His divinity, like this quote says, not in a way that His divinity overpowers or influences or, or changes His humanity. They're, they're displays of His divinity in a different way, and we'll get to that at the end. But we tend to think, well, of course He did that. He's God. We get to Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and we read... Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now, 
we might read that and say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you've got all of the apostles there in Jerusalem together, sort of combining their powers, perhaps. A, 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 a captain planet with our powers combined. We, we do this. The Ghostbusters did the same thing. You know, they had to, you gotta, you gotta join our powers to focus out the, the demon. But then we read in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, we read, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So there, Stephen, all by himself, was doing great wonders and signs. All by himself. Now we might hear that and say, okay, yeah. But Jesus could cast out demons. And then we read in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So we can't say, well, Jesus could cast out demons. Okay, but so could Paul. He could cast out demons. We might say, yeah, but Jesus could make lame people walk. Acts chapter 3, verse 2, A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, and to ask of alms of those entering the temple. Then in verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So we say, Jesus could make lame people walk. Okay, so could Paul. Another objection. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Jesus could heal people who were completely paralyzed. Remember they had to lower him down through the roof of the house. In Acts chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. He healed a man paralyzed. Okay, sure. So the apostles could do all that stuff, but Jesus could raise the dead. Well, then we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 40, Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So Peter raised a girl from the dead. Acts chapter 20, verses 9 through 12, a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. 
when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Jesus could raise the dead. So could Peter. So could Paul. Well, then we might respond, okay. Well, Jesus had power to heal a woman when he wasn't even looking. She just in the crowd reached through and touched the hem of his garment and was healed. Now that's power. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, we read, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now that's, that's, that's power. And then we read in Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, More than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. He didn't even touch them. They didn't touch anything of his. His shadow was going over them, and they were being healed. Now, my point in all of that is not to detract from the ministry of Christ, the point is to show that the things that he did to display the glory of God in word and deed were not exclusive to his divine nature. It wasn't just, well, he's God. Of course he can do it because he's God because the same things were carried out by the apostles, reproduced in the ministry of the apostles who were not in the least bit divine at all. They were men just like us. So again, the question is, how did a man, fully man, carry out a ministry like Jesus Christ did? And my assertion, the answer to that, that I want to prove or show you from Scripture, is this. The Lord Jesus Christ carried out His earthly ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ carried out His earthly ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of that is introduction. I want to prove to you from the Scriptures that that's true. Again, this is not very deep. It's not very elaborate. It's, but it's, I think it's something that very few people ever really take notice of. So, I'm going to give you three points. If you're taking notes, we have already labeled... Roman numeral 4, IV. So this would be capital letter A, capital letter B, and capital letter C. First, the Holy Spirit given at His baptism. Second, the Holy Spirit's power in His deeds. And third, the Holy Spirit's power in His words. Power, or the Holy Spirit given at baptism, power in His deeds, and power in His words. Love hearing those pins right. Are we ready? So first, the Holy Spirit given at His baptism. Now it is not a small thing with, within the gospel narratives, all four of them especially, it's not a small thing when one event is included in all of the gospels. Um, especially prior to Passion Week. 
Now, once we get to Passion Week and the crucifixion, well, of course, these, they are gospel narratives, and so all of them include something of, of those events. But prior to Passion Week, and, and you guys can check this and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but prior to Passion Week, there are only uh, three, maybe you could divide it into four things that are recorded in all four gospels. Um, the birth of Jesus doesn't even get that much attention because John does not mention the birth of Jesus. Um, and I don't think Mark may not either, specifically. Um, the others would be the preaching of John the Baptist, the feeding of the 5,000, and the rejection of Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. The fourth one, if you want to include this as a separate from the preaching of John the Baptist, is the baptism of Jesus. One of, again, it seems like four things that are recorded in all four Gospels prior to Passion Week. I want to read all four of them to you. And I don't want you to turn to any of them until we get to John. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So that's Matthew. Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Then in Luke, Luke is sometimes called the theologian or the evangelist of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. All right, now turn with me to John chapter 1. And we'll read John's account because John the Baptist gives a little glimpse into what's happening here. John chapter 1, verses 31 through 34. Hopefully this is not confusing. John's gospel, John the Baptist is speaking. Not the same John. Verse 31, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. Again, the words of John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain... This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Every gospel records the baptism of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit to rest upon Christ. Now I want you to notice how John the Baptist explains how God told him he would know who was the Christ. Remember, he's baptizing all sorts of people. John's never, obviously never met his cousin. He's lived in the wilderness. And so how is he going to know 
Which of these men is the Christ? Well, God told him, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. Matthew said the Spirit descended and rested upon him. So the definitive mark of Christ's sonship was to be the descending of the Spirit and it would remain on him. In other words, it would not leave him. It would come down in bodily form like a dove and stay. It just... I don't know what that looks like. I, I, I don't know. Did it descend like a dove would descend? Did it look like a dove? I don't know. But it would stay. Now I want you to know, now turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Again, Luke, the theologian of the Holy Spirit, shows this a lot early on in his gospel. Luke chapter 4. Immediately after this, verse 1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So he's just got baptized. The Spirit came down, rested, remained. Now he's full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So we, we have this picture of Christ, in this inauguration of His earthly ministry, He's baptized. The Spirit comes down in bodily form, rests on Him, remains on Him. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He walks up out of the water, and that Spirit then leads Him straight into the wilderness where He'll be for 40 days without food and be tempted by Satan. Now, it's interesting, again, it says, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. That same reference is used, Luke uses, of Stephen when he was being stoned. Remember, he gazed into the heavens. He saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. The only time we have a reference to him standing at the right hand of the Father. And it says he was full of the Spirit when that happened. Stephen, a mere mortal, full of the Holy Spirit, saw into heaven. So again, this is not something, we're not saying, well, of course Jesus was full of the Spirit. He was, or is God, because the same thing was said of Stephen. Now turn with me again back to John. I should have told you to put your finger there, but turn with me to John 3. This is something that the men were talking about last week, and I, I questioned them. And I think we... Uh, we came to a consensus. I hope we did. If not, I'm going to bring it to a consensus real quick. <laughs> um, John 3, verse 34. 34 and 35. For he whom God has sent, who's that? That's, that's Jesus Christ, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now the question was, who is the he and who's giving the Spirit to whom? I do believe the appropriate understanding is he, the Father God, gives the Spirit without measure to the Son. The next verse, the Father, gives the, or, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. 
So the sense is that God the Father gave the Holy Spirit in all of the fullness and all of the undivided power of the Holy Spirit to His Son to rest and remain and stay and therefore from that point He was full of the Holy Spirit. So, in conclusion, from the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was sent, descended down, remained, filled, and led Him. Now, has anyone ever considered all of that before? Is that, is that, that, that hopefully that's, hopefully you're learning something new. Um, again, if He's God, why, do, why is that necessary? Because He's a man. Okay, so that's, Capital letter A, the Spirit given at His baptism. Now let's break these things up. You'll see capital letter B, his, the Holy Spirit's power in His deeds. And we're going to look at two passages and we will turn to both of them. The first one is Acts chapter 10, verses 36 through 38. Acts 10... Verses 36 through 38. This, this was the first passage I ever uh, read and was shown this truth from. I had never considered it. Um, this, that would have been last summer when I, when I took note of this. I had never, never considered it before. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 36. For the word that he sent to Israel, or as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching... Good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Here's what they know. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. Peter here is preaching to Gentiles and he's calling their attention to the Savior who died and then who was raised so that he can then preach salvation in the resurrected Christ. And he calls their attention to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, whom they would have recognized from current events. Again, he says, as for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. It doesn't say you understand the gospel or you know the, 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 the dual nature of Christ. He's just saying you know the events that happened. And then he begins to describe the ministry of Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. God anointed. That word anointed is where we get our word Christ. It means to dab or to smear, to anoint with oil. The, uh, all of the uh, hubbub about Hank Hanegraaff joining the Eastern Orthodox Church and he was chrismated. He was anointed with oil in that church, which they believe is the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. They believe they can do that. Here, here's your Holy Spirit. Um, but that's the idea, to dab or to smear, to anoint with oil. Again, a reference to the prophets and the priests and the kings of the Old Testament. They were anointed. They were set apart for service unto God. But he's not anointed with oil. He's anointed, dabbed, smeared, wiped, poured with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
The idea is that, that he's teaching is that God, the Father, poured out, as it were, the Holy Spirit onto Jesus of Nazareth. He anointed him. It was a, an anointing of the Holy Spirit and of power. We, we read in Isaiah 11 too that he would be anointed with the spirit of strength. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. He is the power within men. It was a bestowal of power. And what was the result? He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That's his deeds. That's what we studied last week and all of his, his acts of mercy and, and, and loving kindness toward people. So with his power, his anointing of the Holy Spirit, he carried out mighty deeds. That's what Peter's saying. Then notice, he says, for the reason he could go about doing good, healing, casting out demons, for God was with him. So hopefully when you read that, you say, why does God have to be with him if he is God? Because he is a man. In his ministry, and, and hear this properly, Jesus acted as a man just like us. Not, not sinful, but he acted as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, another text, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And remember, this is the same author. Luke 5, 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Why does Luke say the power of the Lord was with him? Isn't he the Lord? Here's what one commentator says. This is extremely helpful. What Luke means is that Jesus had the power of the Lord God to heal with. That clears it up a lot. The Lord there, I do believe, is a, a New Testament reference to Yahweh. The power of the Lord God the power of Yahweh was with Jesus. But again, why does the power of God have to be with God to heal? Because Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is a man. And the power was with him to heal. The power being given was a power to carry out the merciful deeds of his earthly ministry as a man working in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, emphasized by Luke there, especially in the early chapters, and we'll continue to see that here in the next point. So there in his deeds, healing, casting out demons, raising the dead, uh, healing the lame, all of these things, he acted as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, second, or this will be third heading, capital letter C, the Holy Spirit's power in His words. The Holy Spirit's power in His words. Just flip the page, maybe not even flip it, to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. 
Remember the picture here, if we start at the beginning of the chapter, and it's interesting if you highlight all these references, but in chapter 3, verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. In 4.1, full of the Holy Spirit, he comes back from the Jordan River. Then he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then in verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He comes out of the Jordan, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, returns full of the Holy Spirit, and what does he do? He starts preaching in their synagogues. He, he begins an itinerant preaching ministry. And then, just, just below that in verses 17 through 19, we have that record of, of what might be the, almost the inauguration of his earthly preaching ministry. Beginning in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, of course, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back, began to teach them, saying, Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. And we saw this last week. What's he, he, he takes this passage from Isaiah uses the word proclaim three times in the English, two times caruso to preach, one time euangelizo to, to herald the good news. He's a preacher. Now what is the driving power behind the activity of his preaching based on his own interpretation of the Scriptures? Where does he begin? It's the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach, to preach, to preach. Same language we've seen, that, that Spirit anointing. The Spirit comes onto Jesus. The Spirit sets Jesus apart for God unto a particular ministry. The Spirit gives Christ power to carry out His ministry. And the focus there is the preaching of the gospel. And then later in, in that chapter, verse 36... They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power. Where did he get that power? Well, he's God. I mean, of course God. No. He got it from the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit's power, the third person of the Trinity. Now let me read to you the last part of this quote. And hopefully this... I don't want this to sound irreverent. I think he's making a point that you will see in your mind. Jesus is not the original Superman. He's not from some distant planet. He's from this one. He does not have in his human nature powers beyond those of ordinary moral men. He is not immune to any of our debilities and limitations. Not hunger, not thirst, not exhaustion, not exasperation. He is not faster than speeding locomotives. He can't leap a tall building in a single bound. 
He probably even suffered from a runny nose a time or two. He was completely Clark Kent. Never was he some alien strongman in spandex. His power, and this is good, his power was left-handed power. That paradoxical potency which is born of weakness completely submitted to the will of the Father and the enablement of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's where his divinity comes in. He was completely submitted. Only, only God could be completely submitted to the Holy Spirit. That's where his, his divine power came in because he was not, he, he didn't succumb to the weaknesses of our sinfulness. He wasn't divided in all of his focuses and his, his attention. You see, he was completely given over. So, here's the point. All of, all of what we've said summed up. We have, we're picturing in our mind a body, a human body with a head. And that head is God and that head is man. And that head as man preached the word of God and committed acts of love and mercy. And we've seen tonight his preaching of the word of God and his ministry of love and mercy was not carried out in some magnanimous display of deity but in a display of the power of the Holy Spirit upon a man. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a man who is completely divorced from all of the sinful temptations of his flesh, this is what you have. The Spirit was given at his baptism. The Spirit was given in all of the fullness of his power. The Spirit was given on him to remain and never depart. And the Spirit's power was displayed in his ministry to the glory of God. Paradoxical potency which is born of weakness completely submitted to the will of the Father and the enablement of the Holy Spirit. I said this morning, blessed are the pure in heart, singularly focused, like, like a horse with blinders. You don't see anything but God. You're completely given over. You've let go of all temporal things, all pride, anything that might hold you or constrain you. You're not clinging to sins. You're not gratifying the flesh. You're just giving over to the Spirit. God, do it. That's what happens. This, that's what we see in Christ's ministry. If we, as a church, could get there, He would take over. He, he would do it. The reason that these types of things, and, and I don't believe the, the miraculous, I believe those things have ceased, but the reason we don't see more power in the church is because we've not let go. We're still holding on. We're talking this morning about these stupid spinner things that kids are into now. Oh, how dumb. These kids are into spinners. How dumb. These adults are into, you name it, everything, everything that we could... We could get our hands on and touch and look at and feel and, and love and, and everything that could pull our minds away from God and the study of the Scriptures and prayer, everything in the world except the power of the Spirit and being given over to the Spirit. And we think kids are silly. If we can let go, 
we can study the gifts of the Spirit until, the, until Jesus comes back. But if we think, well, I'm going to use my gift and hold on to my sin or, or still be worldly, still constantly love the world, it's worthless. So, <clears throat> this is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a man. So, next week we will see what special blessing was promised upon the ascension of Christ that connects all that we've learned about Him to our present situation? Tell me the answer. The Spirit. That same Spirit. It filled Him. He left. He sent Him. We got it. Okay. That's why He could say, it's better that I go. That, that greater works than these will you do. Not, not greater in, in display of power or, or deity. We're not going to walk on water more or walk on water better. The, the, the point is the Spirit is going to be given to all of God's people all over the globe, not centralized in, in a single man, in a place at time, but the whole globe filled with people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's what we'll see next week, the blessing of Christ's ascension. Any questions? All right, let's pray.